0: Welcome to the Conscious Combat Club, trauma-informed martial arts by women for women. I'm your host, Georgia, and I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Please note that some listeners might find this content distressing. Take care, connect with your support networks, and refer to the organisations in the show notes below. Alrighty, welcome to the start of Season 2. I know you probably have a lot of questions. Uh, If you've been a long-term listener of the show, you'll know that there's been a bit of a hiatus. I haven't published anything in 2023 and it's April. Um, So I'm sure you've been wondering what's been happening, um, what's all this new... name, what's with the new intro, what's all this on social media, uh, maybe you haven't seen anything, no worries, this episode is here to explain what's been happening over the last few months, where we're going, um, and how you can be a part of that journey as well. I'm also going to recap everything that's happened leading up to this moment, so if you're new to this podcast, this is a great episode to start with. You don't need to go all the way back to the start of season one, unless you really want to. Um, I really cringe when people tell me that they're listening to the show, but they're starting from the beginning because I was so new to podcasting at that time, and there are a lot of things that I feel that I have improved in since then, but... In any case, this episode is gonna be a big overview about where we're at, where we're headed, and also where we've been. So, you will have noticed, first and foremost, I introduced the show differently. We have got a new name. We are no longer the Fight Back Project. This is no longer the Fight Back Podcast. This is now the Conscious Combat Club. So, there are a few key reasons why we've changed. Firstly, The name along with our whole brand. So let's talk about the name itself to begin with. First, I've got a few reasons here, and I'm I'm looking down if you're watching the video because I don't want to go off track. I've got some key points to cover. So, first is we are not a self-defense program. I have had a lot of self-defense practitioners on this podcast. I'm a believer in self-defense, I'm not anti-self-defense, but the Fight Back Project is not a self-defense program. It is a trauma-informed kickboxing program. And in some ways, I really enjoyed the name Fight Back because I think it prompted conversation around how we're not a self-defense program. But I understand that it was a little bit confusing and misleading and a lot of people have given me feedback like, oh yeah, the name Conscious combat makes a lot more sense to me than fight back for that reason. I always conflated it with self-defense. So we want to step away from that because what we're about at the Conscious Combat Club, uh, I'm still getting used to the new name too, is teaching kickboxing in a way that is first and foremost trauma-informed and also focuses on helping clients connect with their bodies in a way that is different to how they have previously connected to their bodies and also practice implementing agency. Those are the two big skills along with kickboxing skills and the many ways that the program is trauma-informed that we are focused on. And so it is not a self-defense program. But again, I don't have... um, a particular problem with self-defense. That's just not what we teach um, and yet yeah, it's beyond the scope of today's episode to go through whether self-defense is a positive or a negative. I think the spoiler for me is that it can be both depending on who's teaching it and how they teach. So that's first. The next thing is, is quite kind of simple is that fight back or fight back project is kind of a common name on the internet. Um, we're not the first program to be called the fight back project. And, and that is not just in martial arts. There are other fight back projects in like fighting cancer, fighting other social justice issues. It's just a really common sounding name that, um, was in other places and we wanted to really stand out and be unique and that's where we're at with being the Conscious Combat Club. You've probably even heard the name before because that's what we've been calling our mailing list and also our Facebook group for a while so it's something I've been thinking about for probably a year give or take. Um, now the next thing is the definition of the word conscious. The word conscious is very deliberate in the conscious combat club. Combat is pretty self-explanatory. Club was also important in that we wanted to make sure it felt like being a part of a community and the community focus of where we want to go in the future is really important. But I think the big word that speaks um, volumes is conscious because the definition of conscious is having knowledge of something. And in this case trauma-informed martial arts means having knowledge of trauma it means recognizing what trauma is what trauma isn't and how it shows up for people it means being conscious or having knowledge of the fact that not everybody has had the exact same life experiences as I have, or as you have. It means that sometimes people require instructions and guidance to be delivered in a different way. And generally speaking, there might be some overarching principles that can be really helpful to adhere to and I will talk about some of those today but also recognizing that every individual who passes through our programs will have individual needs and being really conscious of honoring those needs is paramount to the way that we deliver trauma-informed martial arts. The next thing is that Conscious could also be considered as being aware of and responding to one's surroundings. Having a general awareness or practicing consciousness. You might think of that in kind of like the meditation, spiritual sense of being awake to the world as a whole, which sounds super vague. But if you think about it, being able to be open and aware of one's surroundings is something that is either too um, too much of a thing for trauma survivors, whereby we're talking about hyper vigilance, being hyper aware of one's surroundings through the lens of looking for danger, or it can be being very tunnel visioned on certain details that might be reminiscent of trauma um, or that might be flagged as being dangerous and ignoring the full picture. And so being able to take in everything that's in your surroundings, or everything that's a part of being in a martial arts class is something that I think we take for granted and, and is not intuitive for a lot of people. In fact, I think most people, when they first start learning martial arts, are in some sort of fight or flight mode. Oftentimes it really feels like I just need to survive this class. I've just got to get through it. Just got to get through this round. Just got to get through this roll. Whatever it might be, we go into survival mode a lot. And sometimes that can be helpful. But an alternative way to practice martial arts is to be really deliberate and conscious and aware of everything that is around you. The resources that you have internally and externally, as in the humans or the other people who you're training with and that you can learn from them to be really conscious of how they're showing up in the space, how they're breathing, are they present, are you present? Once you start to take in all of this additional detail, it really changes the practice of learning martial arts from being something from where you're just trying to survive to being a space where you can really grow and develop and thrive. So in essence, that's why we've changed our name from the Fight Back Project and the Fight Back Podcast to everything being under the banner of the Conscious Combat Club. Now, another part of that um, for me was around making trauma-informed practice more accessible. So one piece of feedback that I have had multiple times uh, is along the lines of, hey, I love the way that you present facilitating kickboxing, it sounds great, but I don't think that I have enough trauma to be in a trauma-informed program. Trauma-informed means person-centered. It means being conscious of the human being who is in front of you and everybody could benefit from learning a trauma-informed blank. doesn't have to be martial arts. I even think that trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive yoga is superior to traditional yoga, I'll say it. Um, I think trauma-informed art, I think trauma-informed drama, trauma-informed dance. I think whenever practitioners are trauma-informed, it just means they have a greater awareness of how human beings can differ and they're more accommodating for meeting people where they're at. One thing that really upsets me is this idea that we don't, as adults and as human beings, children included, have agency, that the reason why we seek out instructors and services is to be told what to do And to be told how hard to push ourselves and to have all of our motivation come from external sources. To have somebody push us past our threshold and that that's where growth happens. I really reject that theory. I think that we're all able to have our own agency and say this is what I need on this given day. We're all capable of pushing ourselves if that's what we need. But I don't think you get any additional benefit from me telling you to go hard as opposed to you today resting because that's what your body needs so that then tomorrow you have enough gas in the tank to be able to push yourself and grow that way i think you get the same amount of growth but in one case you become dependent on me for motivation and in the other case you become self-sustaining you're only dependent on yourself because you're internally motivated and also you back yourself. You know that you're capable of doing it because you've pushed yourself before, whereas otherwise all these doubts come in. So our rebrand is also about making trauma-informed practice more accessible um, to everybody because everybody can benefit from thinking through these or thinking along these lines. We have moved away from some of our uh, traditionally feminine colors. So being very like pink and purple focused into a much bigger color palette to encompass the diversity that we love seeing as part of our community that we have seen and that we hope to see more of in the future. So the programs that I run currently, are for women. We teach trauma-informed kickboxing for women. And when we say women, we are all-encompassing. We welcome cis women, trans women, and non-binary people who identify with womanhood into that program. And we're on a journey to welcoming people of diverse genders throughout the community into trauma-informed spaces and working out slowly what that's going to look like long-term. First and foremost, we are focused on working with women, but again, I think everybody can benefit from a trauma-informed model. And you'll see that reflected in our branding where now our color palette is huge. Um, I think over the last year, two years especially as part of this journey for me, I've become keenly aware of all of the intersections that our society has and how they affect the people who come into our spaces and the people we want to bring and welcome into our spaces and the diversity that we want to celebrate. Um, When I first started, I think I was very focused on how does trauma affect each individual? And now I look at How does our society cause trauma and how is that affecting the individual and how does the collective impact the individual's healing as part of being in community? Um, And so I think I have a much broader awareness of what trauma-informed practice really means and what it encompasses. And again, that's reflected in our branding where you'll see lots of colors, a huge variety in the amount of shapes, um, the way those shapes are used within our brand, you'll notice um, that, yeah, we have differences across what you see on social media and then it's like slightly different to what you see on our website. If you really zoom in on our font, you'll notice that the font that we've chosen is this really quirky font where there's some slight um, upticks in some of the lettering. And what I mean by that is that they're, You could almost define imperfections within some of the letters that once you see, you kind of can't unsee. And imperfections is the wrong word, right? They're like quirks. Um, that just make things a little bit interesting and again that really reflects the individuality of all the people that we have within our collective and the duality I suppose in how important it is to respect people's individuality and also the power of the collective at the same time and hold space for all of that and that's really what we've tried to represent in the new brand so uh, again that's my kind of long-winded ramble um, at why we've changed the brand, why we've changed the name. I'm hoping that that gives you some insights um, as to all of these differences that you are seeing. Now, if you are new here, and even if you're not, let's talk more about what the Conscious Combat Club is. So, We are a trauma-informed martial arts program. We are on a mission to show the world that martial arts are not just hyper-masculine spaces. They're not just spaces for toxic masculinity. I have no problems with masculinity, but I do have a problem with noticing that almost every martial arts gym you walk into is going to be really darkly lit, really underrepresented in terms of women, in terms of people of colour, in terms of people within the queer community, in terms of people with disabilities, um, really in terms of anyone who looks different to a jacked cis white male. And that's a problem because those are not the only people who want to engage with martial arts there are so many more people than that and representation really does matter and so our mission is around being like okay how can we make spaces that feel more welcoming because there's something really really magical here when it comes to martial arts there's a lot of potential with that potential comes a lot of responsibility and I even feel that now like where I've been preaching for the last three years around how great martial arts are for mental health how there's so many stories of people particularly women who you know had experiences with trauma with abuse with violence and used martial arts as part of their recovery for folks who have been able to find community within martial arts spaces, how incredible it is for boosting confidence. And the list really goes on and on and on about all the potential benefits for martial arts. However, that is contingent on you finding the right club. And there is just an overwhelming number of people who go into a martial arts gym, have a negative experience, and then never go back into a martial arts gym and lose the opportunity to have access to all of those wonderful benefits that martial arts can provide. And that's a real shame, you know, I think our society would be much better off if those people hadn't had those negative experiences. Um, And so a real mission of mine and of everybody at the Conscious Combat Club is to change that narrative, is to say that combat sports are for everyone. And when delivered in novel, not always novel, but in this novel way, given that trauma-informed spaces are just so new in terms of their concept, and especially in their application to martial arts, where it's not mainstream yet, but we are headed there, um that really can have a big impact on how folks engage with martial arts. And I think this podcast has a huge role to play in that. Um, I get people emailing me saying that they had stopped training because because of a negative experience or for some reason and have gone back to training because of this podcast, that people have been able to set boundaries and advocate for themselves within gyms. Um, I heard folks start trauma-informed martial arts programs because of this podcast and because of our course Um, and like I get emotional thinking about the impact of that you know if I can get on camera if I can interview people if I can share some conversations that are going to help extend the reach of martial arts in a positive way that's such a win and it's a big burden as well to think about how we present that information and making sure we are being nuanced because I think it's, it's easy to get on a bandwagon of being like martial arts are always amazing or being like martial arts are too dangerous for trauma survivors and not being able to find that sort of more nuanced in between gray area. Um, Because we do really need to recognize that many predators also practice martial arts. Not everyone who does martial arts is a martial artist. Some of them are con artists and assholes. Um, And some people who train in martial arts are very good at being able to recognize people who are easy targets or who have previously been victims, who are survivors, who are therefore somehow for them easier, for them to be able to access and control and use their status as a leader or a coach or a black or a brown belt or whatever it might be um, in order to hurt that person. And that's a really important thing for us to recognise as well. So how do we educate community how do we petition for safer spaces how do we create safer gyms how do we bring more sport governance into the sport how do we do that in a way that's beneficial instead of harmful how can we create trauma-informed programs that are genuinely trauma-informed and don't just use the name as a buzzword how can you as a practitioner Be more trauma-informed in the way that you engage with your training partners. How can you, as a coach, be more trauma-informed, or at the very least, be aware of the impacts of trauma in the way that you facilitate your classes? All of these things have such important roles to play, um, and it's been overwhelming to see how from its conception until this point, how much of an impact that the Fight Back project and the Fight Back podcast had. Um, and I'm so excited to continue that into the future. So again, that's that's really the education side of what the Conscious Combat Club is all about. At its core, what it means when we say that we are a trauma-informed program um, is a... Huge, huge question. Um, One that I answer in about 20 hours worth of content in our online course, but that I will summarise for you here in a way that I think will be still very, very meaningful. Um, So first of all is to say that I think that there's a spectrum of where clubs sit from being therapeutic all the way down to being... Um, dangerous. Trauma-informed sits somewhere towards the therapeutic end of that spectrum without being actually therapeutic. So let me explain what I mean by that. Trauma-informed martial arts are not therapy. I'm not a therapist and what I teach cannot be in any way considered to be therapy. However, Trauma-informed practice can be a wonderful adjunct to therapy. It can be a great way to implement some of the school skills learned in therapy to build upon those skills. Um, and in general, at its core, trauma-informed practice means aiming to do less harm than from that as a base do-good, so to not re-traumatise people. Now, most martial arts clubs sit... But all martial arts clubs sit somewhere on that spectrum. But most don't sit at the dangerous end of the spectrum. Most sit somewhere in between. Some are much closer to the dangerous end of the spectrum than others. Some have got wonderful facilitators, wonderful facilities, have got a really thoughtful curriculum, but they're not trauma-informed specifically. Um, Some programs have got a couple of really great coaches, but their management really sucks. And so overall, the club can be genuinely negative for some people and and everywhere in between, right? And listeners of this podcast, you're the kind of person who is either at a club that is committed to moving up on that spectrum, um... Or you're at a club that's, you know, already quite high on that spectrum or listening to this podcast might, um, prompt you to leave your club and to go and join another club that is more aligned with your values. Um, I have spoken about this with so many guests. If you get a bad vibe from people, investigate that feeling, talk to people, have conversations, ask questions, find out about policies Don't use your money to support poor behavior. It is the responsibility of everybody within the martial arts community to help our community continue to move up on that spectrum, not stay stagnant, um, and not facilitate situations whereby people feel trapped at dangerous clubs. And that is the reality and that is happening right now because as a sport we have very few governing bodies who can actually intervene and so in a lot of ways it can feel kind of like the wild west you always have a choice and you can always leave as difficult as that can often be and as much as it really does feel like ending a relationship and again you know you can always leave technically a relationship but it's never that simple right so Um, If you need help, if you need advice, please reach out. Uh, You can contact me uh, via our website, consciouscombat.club, or on Instagram, or, you know, send me an email. Any any way that feels safe and aligned for you, um, please reach out if you need help, or if you're not sure, or if you just want to chat. This is a community. We're in a community together and we all have a joint responsibility. And I take my responsibility within that space very, very seriously. Um, So please reach out. Now, in terms of what we do at the Conscious Combat Club that makes us trauma informed, I want to talk today about five things that we do that are very broad terms. And I'll give you some examples within each as to things that we do in order to Be Trauma-informed. So the first of the five is that we're very focused on client safety. So when I mean safety, of course I mean not teaching techniques that are dangerous and, and making sure that there's no trip hazards and slip hazards and all of those things around general gym physical safety. But I also mean safety in the sense that it's not something that we're ever going to be able to promise or absolutely guarantee, but we're always trying to move everything about our practice towards helping our clients be safe. And so that looks like operating out of spaces where clients can see the exits and exit. That means teaching class in a circle whereby everybody can see everybody at all times. That means being in a space that's very open and spacious and light-filled so it feels non-threatening. That means having initial consultations with clients and talking them through exactly what a session looks like so that there are no surprises for participants. That means building rules into the program. I only have one rule for all of the classes that I facilitate, and that is that there is no discussion of self-harm. And I invite all of my clients to bring any other rules that will make them feel safe. And I'll state all of those rules anonymously at the start of class. Creating or trying to move towards creating a safe space also looks like um, not having music. It looks like not having mirrors, knowing how uncomfortable seeing yourself in the mirror while you're trying to be in your body can be for participants. Um, And so those are a few examples of ways that we prioritize safety. And in every decision that we make, we're considering whether or not this is going to help our clients be and feel safe. The next thing is trust it's imperative for a trauma-informed program to be built on a foundation of trust. And so that means we're very transparent with our clients about changes that we're making. It means that we give people warning. It means that, you know, we don't cancel a class last minute. Um, It means that what we say that we're going to do at the start of class, when we give an introduction and we say in today's session, we're going to focus on this, this and this, that's what we do within the session so that clients' expectations are met. That's really how trust is built in all relationships is I set an expectation and then I meet that expectation. I tell you I'm going to do something and then I do that. And It sounds very simple, um, but it's so, so important in building trust within a trauma-informed framework and in general. Then the next thing is... is having a culture of support in particular peer support one of the most beautiful things um, about teaching trauma-informed kickboxing is that by nature of the program clients feel comfortable to share aspects of the difficulties that they're experiencing that are not always socially acceptable so I'll give you an example at the end of class we talk about what went well I say you know you might like to think of something that was positive something you liked or any one thing that went well and then there's an invitation to share what that was and clients will talk about things like you know today I felt myself want to disconnect from my body which is a common trauma response um i felt myself want to disconnect from my body a few times and i only really disconnected from my body once but i felt like i was able to be more in my body than i have been in a long time and everyone in the group will affirm that person and go "Mm, yes totally well someone will share something that's been similar even And to know that you are not alone, to know that you are supported by other people, to know that you're not crazy, is just an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing for any human to experience. And it's really imperative to the work that we do. The next thing is collaboration. You might've noticed me saying things like, I will invite everybody to share, Everything that we do at the Conscious Combat Club is by invitation. We do that through our language. So we say things like, if you like, when you're ready, you might like to, and we give options and we remind clients that they are allowed to say no. We then build trust with our clients by honoring them when they say no. So if a client says, no, I don't want to participate in that, we don't say, Okay, well, what if we did it this way? Or would you feel comfortable if I did it with you? We say no worries. That's it. No worries, and then we shut up. Um we clap our clients for saying no for setting a boundary. That is such a skill. It cannot be overstated how much of a skill boundary setting is. And I think Instagram would lead you to believe that if you want to set boundaries, all you have to do is start setting boundaries. And it is just not that simple. You really do need to have had positive experiences of setting boundaries in order to feel safe to set boundaries. And so we try to give folks that foundation within our classes. And then the final thing is respect. So we work with women and we recognize that a common source of trauma for our clients is gender-based violence. Gender-based violence is overwhelmingly perpetrated by men to women and so we create a women's only space to help women feel safe enough to be able to start learning kickboxing to be able to practice to let their guard down in a space right we recognize that some of the people who sit within that group are going to be non-binary And so we introduce our pronouns whenever we're having new people within the space and we respect everybody and use their pronouns when they tell us them. And sometimes we make mistakes and we correct our mistakes and trauma informed programs that work with different communities will have different ways that they respect the differing gendered, cultural and historical needs of the clients that they're working with. Again, we don't operate in bubbles and the intersections that people experience impact them in the ways that they engage with our programs, with our martial arts programs. And so we think really carefully about all of the ways that that is impacting the people in front of us and we adjust our practice accordingly. And when we're not sure, we get advice or we ask and when we make a mistake, we say we made a mistake and we're sorry and how can we fix it? It's very simple to me um, now, but when I first started trying to think about that, it was overwhelming. And so this year, um, I do want to continue to talk about all the different intersections that are experienced by folks in community, in order to educate everyone and to make it a little bit easier for those who are coming into the space and starting to think about being more trauma-informed in martial arts like it shouldn't be as difficult as it was for me then as it is for you in 2023. So. That's the Conscious Combat Club. That's a bit about our rebrand. That's a bit about what our kickboxing program looks like, some of the ways that it's trauma-informed. There are more than that, um, but those are some of the key five principles, safety, trust, support, collaboration, and respect. If this is your first time listening to this podcast or if you're new to this podcast Here's the story of how I got to be in front of you talking about trauma-informed martial arts. Some of this is going to be repetition, or you might have heard this before if you've listened to episode one. Um, Some of this might be new because probably the way that I tell the story now is um, a little bit more nuanced than how I originally told it. So I started in martial arts when I was 12 years old. Sorry, I'm talking a lot today. I'm usually interviewing someone so I get to drink much more water. Okay, so I started martial arts when I was 12. I started because my mum also trained in karate. She had stopped when she had kids and she went back when I was 10 or 11 Um, which is what got me curious in starting. And for me, um, martial arts, when I first started, was just something that I enjoyed doing. It was something that was pretty intuitive to me, having a dance background. Um, Specifically, I did calisthenics for, I think, like eight years um, before I started karate. And I practiced kyokushin karate from when I was 12 up until I was about 21. And... When I finished high school, the only thing I was really interested in was doing karate. I changed from doing a law degree. I studied law for two years um, before I realized I couldn't see a future for myself in law. And so I transitioned into exercise science thinking that I was going to work with like elite boxers or... I really didn't have a specific idea, but I figured uh, I wanted to go to university, I wanted to stay at university, and I wanted to do something that was related to something that interested me. And throughout that time, throughout my time at uni, I realized that I was in no way interested in working with high-level athletes. I enjoyed competing myself, I'm very competitive, um, but I didn't really care about making what we call the 1% 1% better, you know, making the top top of the population, t- the tiniest bit better at their sport just didn't excite or fulfill me. But I did get a lot of enjoyment in helping people overcome injuries. And so I started early on, even before I graduated, working with a company called Kiza, which do clinical strength training. And I worked with so, so many people with predominantly lower back Um, and neck pain in helping them um, strength train. So I moved to Melbourne for that job. I'm originally from Geelong. And when I I moved to Melbourne, I moved from doing karate to doing kickboxing, specifically Muay Thai. Um, And I started Muay Thai and I was just instantly hooked. It was like karate, but a little bit more intense. And, you know, I had gone from like just training a little bit for fun and and using joining a gym as a way to meet community to like going to sparring classes. And then I was like going to Thailand and then I had booked my first fight and everything just kind of escalated until all of a sudden I was my whole life was basically built around training and competing in Muay Thai. And that was a time for me that was really great. Like, I challenged myself a lot. I overcame a lot. I'm really proud of my time as a fighter. Um, but it also really facilitated an eating disorder for me, which, um, so for for myself, manifested as um, a really, really intense control over everything that I ate. Um, it meant that, you know, to this day, I can still look at most plates and calculate how many calories, how much fat, how much protein, how much carbs is on that plate if I don't really carefully check myself into going into that habit. Um, and being a fighter meant that I could get away with that. Nobody even thought twice about it. You know, if I skipped a meal, I would just be like, oh, it's because I'm losing weight for a fight. People would be like, yeah, of course, you know. wouldn't eat for a week leading up to the fight. People would be like, yeah, of course. You know, uh, um, I was really, really skinny and and people were like, you look great. You're ready to fight. And I was like, yeah, I'm an athlete. And my whole identity now is built around being as skinny as possible and being a pro fighter. Um, And it was it was kind of tough, to be honest. Like there was a time where I realized that I was probably having some other health issues you know, I didn't get my period for three and a half years. It's called amenorrhea. It's really common among female fighters. Um, it's super normalized. People are like, yeah, you're a fighter. That's normal. It's not normal. Um, and you know, there was a lot of flow on health effects from that, which ended up prompting me to to gain weight and to start training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which for me created a really good segue into doing something else where I could be competitive where I could be learning where I could be practicing some sort of a combat sport without the temptation to take another fight which for me um it was just too too big like I I really wanted to be fighting my identity was around taking fights um but it just really facilitated me hating my body and controlling what I ate and just only thinking about food and exercise all of the time and it was just really unhealthy. So from from being in that really kind of shitty dark space, um, I at that time met a psychologist named Liam Harkins. who's an angel who specialised in trauma, who introduced me to a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. He said, read this and then let me know if you ever want to teach kickboxing to some of my women and some of my female clients. Um, I think there's a lot of benefit from women learning martial arts. And I was so interested in the idea, but I, I couldn't take the idea from idea into reality. I couldn't overcome all of the barriers of money and time until COVID. So when COVID hit, then... I lost my job, I was no longer working in exercise science. Um, I had all this time to think about what do I really wanna do? Plus, everybody was exercising online. So I reached out to both Liam and also Deb, who runs a psychology clinic called Person Centred Psychology, who um, was Liam's boss. He has now moved and opened his own practice in Geelong. Um, And I said to them, Remember that idea we had around, you know, doing... Um, I didn't even say trauma-informed. I think I said just running a uh, kickboxing class for women with PTSD. Should Could we try that? Like, could we try that online? Is that a thing? And they were both super encouraging, and, and that's where I really got started. Um, at that point in time, I started the podcast because I was like, I'm good at talking. Um, I really like learning and talking to people and maybe no one's even going to sign up for my program. So how about if I, you know, just start a podcast while I slowly work at getting the program set up and what ended up happening was that I started the podcast and I would talk to a psychologist, talk to them about the program. I was reading a lot of research books and then they would introduce me to another psychologist who would give me feedback and i just got so much great um i had so many great ideas so much great feedback from a, a range of psychologists particularly fo- psychologists focused on sabbatic experiencing um and all of a sudden we had a program and i also had four women to pilot the program and then we piloted the program the first pilot went really well um i was just in in love in that first six months i was like this is my calling every interview that i did for the podcast showed me more and more what i already had a sense for which was that whatever we're on to here around around martial arts being good for mental health is very real um and one of the guests that i had on kathy van Ingen, um that episode is one of the earliest episodes and it's still one of the best um She runs or founded, was a co-founder of a program called Shape Your Life, which is a trauma-informed boxing program in Canada. Um, She's also a researcher, professor, and so a very busy person. But she said to me, you know, it'd be great if we could get a bunch of practitioners and researchers from around the world together to talk about best practice and bridge the gap between research and practice. So... I took that on because i was like i've got more time than a university professor let's do this and so i surveyed 220 martial artists about why they train um why they think people most likely say martial arts saved my life which most martial artists have heard somebody say at some point um i asked I think about 20 practitioners about how many people do they have in their class you know what's the structure what does trauma-informed practice mean to them and I collated all of that I say quote-unquote research because you know I didn't have ethics and it wasn't formal research but all of that informal research I collated and then um got together with all of those researchers and said here's the summary of what you all told me um what do you think and um yeah, we, we kind of discussed it and discussed what we thought best, best practice was. And it was just really incredible to get an idea and somewhat of a consensus in some ways because martial arts are very varied, especially the difference between like grappling and striking and self-defense and non-self-defense based programs. But um, yeah, we, we reached some consensuses. That's a plural of consensus, consensus. Anyways, we had some agreements uh, about what trauma-informed martial arts was. And um, at that point, Melbourne, which is where I'm from, also came out of lockdown. And so we started doing in-person classes and we were like in and out of in-person to begin with. And then um, eventually doing like full-time, not full-time, but like having clients who only did in-person classes as opposed to oscillating between online and in-person. And today I teach both in-person and online classes. We have several beginners classes for online and in-person per week and a graduate class per week for both online and in-person respectively. Um I took all of the information from that con- that conference that I hosted, the research that I did, all the research I could find, and I like, bundled up into a 20 um, hour course it goes over 12 modules that I delivered online that takes martial arts coaches through everything that I think they could possibly need to know about starting their own trauma-informed program and has worksheets, which, when completed, create a program. So at the end, you know, had a bunch of people have their lesson plans and their program overview and their rationale and their research basis for their trauma-informed martial arts programs. Um, Off the back of that, there are two affiliates to the Conscious Combat Club now. Um, There is one which is called The Storm, which is in Kentucky, that's a trauma-informed jiu-jitsu program and then there's a trauma-informed kickboxing program um, in BC in Canada called Connection Martial Arts and there have been other people who have completed the program as well and there's people who are completing it right now and so we're literally taking over the world um, which is so cool and yeah like now you know I teach many classes per week and sometimes it makes me want to cry just how how beautiful it is to see women who otherwise would never have started training training together and laughing and having fun um or just like having these profound moments all of it makes me want to cry to be honest Um, and yeah that's kind of the story about where we were and and or how we got to being at this this moment now. Um, you'll notice me saying we a lot now because there are a couple of really important people who have come onto the team at the Conscious Combat Club. One of those is Penny. Um, Penny is a graduate of, well, when they did it, the Fight Back Project, and is now our lead for diversity and inclusion just a real expert in the space of particularly lgbtq plus inclusion has a whole host of experience working um across you know emergency relief and you know suicide helplines and domestic violence helplines um has lived experience is just really wonderful person to have as an advisor in our team and then we also have mish who again has lived experience, has completed the what was then the Fight Back project um, and is a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, a world champion and an incredible business mind and helps us with all our things in terms of business development, um, our purpose and how we go about growing. And so I really feel like we're a we we're intending to become much more of a we in this next year. So you have probably heard me hinting a lot at wanting to start a dedicated gym. We run pop-ups, um, at a psychology clinic called person-centered psychology in South Melbourne. Just all of the team there are so, so wonderful. Um, and it's hard sometimes to want to leave. And likewise with where we host our graduate classes at Krav Maga Melbourne, the team there are super wonderful. Um, and again, we just need a dedicated space. We're almost outgrowing those spaces. And yeah, it's time for us to set up our own gym, which is part of the reason why we're rebranding. And so we're going through the process right now of thinking about what that might look like, um, how we're going to go about getting the funding for that. And so I'll keep you all posted every step of the way along that part of our journey. Um, in terms of being, I guess, even more intersectional in some ways, I suppose. Uh I'm also really interested in how this work can be applied in other cultural contexts, in particular um in Latin America. We ran Penny and myself, um, along with the help of Dr. Noel Brigden, who's been on this podcast before, ran a four-week um intensive trauma-informed kickboxing program in El Salvador. Um which at some point we'll probably talk about um, in more detail. But I've been uh, sort of chipping away at publishing some of the work that we did from, from that project and hopefully continuing that work because it was really, really successful. Um, and I just have no words really for how wonderful it is to be able to share kickboxing with more people, particularly more women, who otherwise would never have been able to access it. Like, it is my life's purpose and my life's mission. So thank you for listening to me sharing all of this. Um, It's a good resource for us to have there because I do get asked a lot, how did I I get to this point? It does seem like quite a niche thing and it's just like everything within martial arts, you know, it just kind of escalated. One thing led to the next and now here we are just you know, slowly spreading all over the world. And so I'm so grateful for everybody who's been a part of that journey. Like it really hasn't been just me. It's been so many people who've helped me out um, along the way and help us become a we. And now we're a we. Um, And yeah, that's just the best. So if you would like to come on this journey with us, um, here's what you can expect from the Conscious Combat Club in the near future. So on this podcast, we're gonna share more stories from other women who are survivors, who are practicing in martial arts. I think those are so powerful. To keep elevating the stories of other women survivors is really important to me. Um, We're also gonna have, again, more actionable advice from practitioners Um, I really do hope that by listening to this podcast, you can find little tidbits that are applicable to you and and be able to implement them into the way that you teach or engage with other people um, in your martial arts gym. Also, I want to get back into interviewing researchers. We've had a number of researchers on this podcast in the past. Um, i really like to start doing some segments where we're going to share some research papers and have the authors break them down and put them into easy to understand language um, and practical things that you can take away from those research papers and then also coming from the work of this podcast predominantly um and then our work on Our work on Instagram, I guess our presence on Instagram and and elsewhere is the development of a worldwide trauma informed martial arts network. So I'm currently building an interactive world map where you'll be able to click, you know, close to where you're located and find affiliates of the Conscious Combat Club, find graduates of our online coaching course find other trauma-informed martial arts gyms that we've either interviewed on the podcast or that we can vouch for because I've spoken to them and learned about what they think that trauma-informed practice means Um, because it's just it's not a guarantee it's a pretty good start if someone says they're trauma-informed but um, I'll vet those for people because I do get a lot of messages people asking if I know someone in whichever area. And, um, unfortunately I don't always, but sometimes I do. So that's a resource that's coming as part of this podcast. And so if you know of someone who you think should come on, or if you yourself would like to come on the podcast, please reach out. Um, the best way to do that is to go to consciouscombat.club, go to the say hi page and fill in the contact form and we can go from there. Um, Thank you for listening to this story. Thank you for being a part of this journey. Thank you for um, just being a part of what's next. I will share things with you as they unfold, when the time is right. This is a really exciting year for us. And yeah, I'm just endlessly grateful to you for being a part of it. Thank you for being part of the club. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to get in touch, please refer to the information in the show notes. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider leaving us a review or subscribing on whichever platforms you use to listen or watch the podcast. The Conscious Combat Club acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands in which we work, live and play. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We'd like to say thank you to Nari for the beautiful song, Shape Me, heard at the beginning and end of every episode. Nobody shapes me. If you'd like to connect with Nari, you can find her on Instagram at nari the saga.
1: Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. I fear nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope so I became this Poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders You don't need to know my history, I move boulders Atlas shrugged cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers This goes deeper than empowerment cause huh, I'm the one that power it physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring if i can't change the scenery at least i change perspectives no longer isolated but elevated and selective darkest places become beautiful spaces this is where rage meets patience meets power meets gracious meets we're so glad you came in the feeling is contagious when you the walking impact of intended bad intentions when you the manifesting of collecting all their tensions you the soul and body hold it all and still remember but i'm a work in progress testament to all contenders forgot what it was like to have control over self forgot what it was like to be the one in charge forgot in my reflection i could see all my wealth forgot that with my bare hands i break all these bars barriers and obstacles they can't cage me they can't Chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances when i was truly beaten gave myself clearances to fall down mess up and get myself back up i'm not looking for clovers because i don't believe in luck damn you were badass i heard them say it clearly why thank you very much i know now i'm not weary of what's next for me because i expect to see growth like i was planted watered fed and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability knowing they won't step if i'm the agent of my agency I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're oh, the end where I begin. Bound I know them well Take a breath and meditate Who is she? I know her well Now I get to open gates One, two, one, two I don't need your permission And if you get uncomfortable Then use your intuition To know that I won't stay Where respect is ever missing And everything I do That's me making decisions Is truly underrated The value of self-worth Forgot that I was rich From the moment of my birth A penny for my thoughts No, really, you can't afford it You cannot buy my story Rewrite it, Or record it You cannot buy my story Rewrite it did home recorded huh